Welcome back to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. This is the No More Silence segment, and I know we haven't done it in quite a bit, and I'm excited to bring it back to you. I'm keeping this platform for No More Silence open to anyone who wants to share their story, so if you or somebody you know wants to come on, I feel privileged to share my platform for such a cause. I'm also releasing this within the nine days, and hopefully you're listening to this on Tishabov. For anyone who needs something sad or serious, I'm hoping this episode helps bring a little bit more compassion, less judgment, and of course, listener discretion is advised. The names and voices have been changed to provide privacy for our guests, and no further research has been done into these stories. I hope you enjoy. So today on the show with us, we have Meira. Meira reached out to me a few months back and said she had heard about No More Silence and wanted to come on the show and share. So the platform is yours. I'd love for you to begin where you feel the story begins for you. And feel free to give as much detail or as little detail as you feel comfortable and think is necessary. So the mic is yours. So my story begins in my mind when I'm five, but I'm sure a lot happened before. I started getting sexually abused by my special member um, that lived in my community. And that went on for about eight years. So some of my earliest memories start around when I'm five. But I also fortunately grew up in a pretty dysfunctional home. So I know a lot of that was going on even before I have memories of it. And that is still going on when I have contact with my family. And can you tell me what you mean by it's still going on when you have contact with your family? So, so the, the main part, of, the main abuse, I guess, with my family is not happening anymore. My mother was pretty physically abusive when we were growing up and that's not going on anymore, but the emotional aspects or mental aspects are still. So that's something I'm actually been working a lot on right now, finding that balance of still needing, wanting a, to be part of my family to an extent, but there's a lot of negative still going on or because of old patterns also end up going back to you know, childhood patterns with the same people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So would you like to share a little bit about what happened to you and how you r- realized that wasn't okay or wasn't normal and we'll take it from there. Um, yeah, so as I said, this man was in our community. I don't know exactly how old he was. Seemed like in his 40s at that point. And he was the candy man of our show. So he knew a lot of kids that way. And he was one of the people that when I've told some people what happened, they weren't surprised that it was him. And some of them even guessed, oh, was it this guy? Because there's something about him that's a little bit creepy. When the first people meet him, they think he's really friendly and good with kids and Everyone is having him for Shabbos meals and to come over and hang out at their house. But if you look a little closer, you can see that he's spending all his time with the kids. And there's something just off about him. And there's something very creepy about him. I don't know, I guess, how much awareness there was. I'm in my mid-20s. So 
I don't think people realize as much back then. No one, I think either, even if my parents knew though, they wouldn't have been responsible about sharing it with me, but about no one could do this to you. And if someone does this to you, you should come to us. So I don't know exactly what I, I don't think I was told anything, honestly. So the first time this happened, I was at his house and his parents let us go and play at his house unsupervised, which thinking about now is crazy. And I think I was there alone. And I remember him asking me about my family and saying, they don't really like you there or they don't love you there. And I was like, yeah. And I remember being upset that he was criticizing my family because I was five and I felt defensive. But at the same time, it was like, yeah, you're right. And he used that as, I care about you. And he gave me a lot of attention. And that was the first time he raped me. And I remember walking home as a five-year-old and it looked like all the clouds turned gray. And I remember thinking that something really bad happened and that it was going to happen again. And I was right. It happened for the next eight years. And I went home and I didn't know what to tell. I didn't even have the words to explain what happened. Um, but I couldn't even go to a parent and say, I don't like what happened because they weren't either safe people for me. And I remember just hiding the evidence and going on. And I dissociated after this happened. I don't know exactly how many times this was going on, but pretty consistently over the years. And I have those memories in one box. And then separately, I have the rest of my childhood memories. So I don't remember being in school in second grade and remembering that this happened. There was two totally separate parts of my life. Like as soon as I left his house or he left my house, I didn't know anymore that I was abused. Like I was having all the effects of it, but mentally I just completely shut down. And all my memories are also from above because I dissociated during them. So I'm always looking down at what happened. So there's a very big disconnect from the memory since they don't feel like mine in the same way that other memories do. But just, it's hard to explain, but. It's like it's somebody else's kind of, memories. Yeah, it's almost like I watched this horrible, like, horror movie, but I have the effects of it. Like, that's, like, my biggest proof when I sometimes doubt myself, like, maybe your memories are all wrong. That's sometimes my biggest proof is you wouldn't be like this if that didn't happen to you. Like, clearly what I'm going through is a result of sexual abuse. Yeah. No, keep going. Can I explain a little bit about the memories? Yes, absolutely. I just mentioned that I doubt them and I just found that the fact that I doubt myself makes me think, okay, this must not have happened. And I think sometimes when I share a little bits and pieces of this with other people, they also wonder like, how do you just forget your memories? Like maybe you did imagine it and I'm still having trouble grappling with it, but I've learned a lot from the different therapists I've worked with that they see this all the time and different survivors that I've spoken to that a lot of them doubt their memories, even though they're so horrific and you couldn't forget that because there's this gray fog around it because they don't feel like mine in the same way. And they're so unbelievable. I think it's something that it's hard to believe. And they, I guess like that was my surviving mechanism was to forget. And then they came back to me when I was in a safer place and emotionally ready. And they slowly started coming back to me. So that also made me doubt like whether it really could have happened. If the memories are coming back to me, it felt like maybe like they got planted in my head, but no one was 
asking me or telling me or trying to convince me that I was abused. So they came back to me and that's something also that I've been working very hard in therapy now to believe that I was abused because it just, it's so unreal to me and the memories are so confusing. So that's like a big thing that I didn't even realize till recently that I'm still, that's like a big block for me that I don't always believe myself. Yeah. I think of it as there is the abuse that happens and because we're in survival mode, we're not taking it in. And then the real pain begins. I don't, I don't want to call it the real pain. It's when you're actually dealing with the story and you're dealing with what happened and that can destroy lives or your mental space a lot more than when it's actually happening, especially if you're a child and you don't know any better. But you did mention how you did know it was off and you didn't like it. Are you comfortable sharing a little bit more in detail of what he did, how he did it, and how he was able to continue doing it? I guess that's a question I'm grappling with myself. How did it happen for so long? And I think it's because there is no one, no adult to stop it. Like, I think if I had, and that's why I blame my parents a lot for the abuse. If I could have told them after the first time, it wouldn't have happened. Especially because that first time was not questionable. Like, maybe it was just inappropriate behavior. Like, he abused me. I don't know how he got away with that for so long. That's also sometimes what makes me wonder. I think I was just so not, no one was tuned into me at home. And people were letting us play there. And he was coming to our house. He just had all these opportunities. And there was times that my parents were sleeping when he was there Shabbos afternoon. So he had a lot of opportunities to do that. And I think as I got older, I never said anything because I was dissociated so much. I didn't remember. If you asked me the next day, I wouldn't have known. I There was always this feeling in the back of my mind that this was happening. But I always thought, are you just trying to make up stories for attention? Like, why would you think that happened to you? But if someone, like, mentioned something about this, or I heard someone else got abused, like, there's this, always this feeling of connection to it. And this, I feel like I'm forgetting some of my life. But that I didn't know how that could have been possible. So at that point, I just really didn't believe it until the memories flooded back and I didn't really have a choice but to face them once I was in ninth grade. So... I think that's how, and also even as, even when uh, this was going on until I was 13, but even when I was a little bit older, I still had no one to tell. And I think even though there's other safe people in my life that maybe at that point, I don't think I would have been comfortable telling them this. I didn't even really understand it. And also, as I said, I didn't really remember. I forgot what else you asked. Do you have any memories uh, of it happening? Yeah. And I have a lot of that. Do you feel comfortable sharing that or you would rather not? I can share a little bit. I don't know how much is okay to share on this. Whatever platform. feels. So my one of my clearest memories, because I remember the conversation also was that first time. And I don't remember. I think he was trying to convince me for a while that this was okay. And to, in my mind, it felt like when you go to the doctor, you don't like what they do there are a lot to do it. So it's felt like sometimes adults do things that you don't like. So I remember this feeling of like terror because I didn't like each thing that he was doing, but I just figured, Hey, this is life. Like when you're a kid, everything bad happens to you. And 
at that point, I, I knew it was very wrong. I guess even as a kid, you must have an innate sense of privacy because even at that age, I remember disconnecting from that feeling of being so vulnerable and not having my privacy and disconnecting. That kind of is what made me first dissociate. But then also the abuse was very physically painful just because I was five. And I remember I started crying and the sickest part, I think, of the whole abuse to me is this moment is that he was the one that was trying to comfort me. And he ruined all touch for me in that moment because then even comforting touch was sick and twisted. I remember he was like, um, stroking my hair, like, it's okay. And then I didn't know what to think. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. And for years later, I grappled with that, that like anyone trying to come for me, it felt creepy. It felt like they were trying to manipulate me into something, even if they were being caring. Wow. And then other times the abuse escalated from that. And he, he, I don't know, he, he was, a very sick person. This wasn't just like that he happened to have access to me. This was a very planned out, manipulative type of thing. I would not be surprised if there's a lot of photos of me on his computer because he used his camera a lot. He he had he was very weird. It was it's like a classic pedophile case. It's not just like an older brother who just is curious and doesn't know. Like this was like he knew who was abusing me and like he wanted to. And he did a lot of pretty painful or humiliating different type of things. And he, this part is, I'm even more unclear about, but somehow he was involved with human trafficking because there was other people involved. I don't know how many years of the abuse, but definitely for a few years, there was other men that I don't know. I don't know where we were or how we got there or how no one knew. Like all those details are unclear, but the actual memories themselves are very clear that there was a lot of people involved. And I remember being shocked when I learned that the term human trafficking could um, connect to my story because I always just thought of it as like the abuse. And that just showed me how severe it was that most stories don't have that element. And that's another part that I also question for a long time. That can't be real. That doesn't happen. Or that doesn't happen in the community where it's just in a normal neighborhood. No one notices that, but somehow it did. And I've been learning to, that these memories don't get me that. Even if the details are unclear, like the actual story happened. So you were trafficked? Yeah. He was always involved, but there were somehow other people involved. And that brought up when I was dating also a whole thing of, can I marry a coin? And this whole trauma, I didn't end up marrying one. So that was easier, but that also made me really mad. I'm like, I can't believe this is like affecting my life in a practical way. Now that this is a question I have to deal with when I didn't do anything. Wow. This is a lot. I'm sure it's a lot for anyone listening. I'm so sorry for what happened to you. Can we move on to the part of your life where you mentioned earlier it was about ninth grade where things started creeping in what was it about your space that felt safe for the memories to start coming back and what was the environment like did you start therapy right away was your family supportive did they believe you did that happen you coming out to them the memories got triggered by a conversation 
that I've had with a friend, and I don't remember exactly what she said, but she must have referenced something related to abuse. And suddenly, I it, I felt like I got hit by a bomb. And just, oh my gosh! Like they all came flooding back. And what was the conversation? I don't remember exactly what it was. She just, I think, mentioned that maybe she read something or heard something about someone being abused. It, it was like not a whole conversation about it, just like she mentioned this. And I was talking to her, are you okay? Like, I just, I couldn't even speak. And I was walking around for a few days just in this bubble of like disbelief, like what, what happened and is it possible that I could have forgotten it? But at the same time, it felt very accurate and that this is the piece of my life that's been missing until now that I finally understand and I didn't mention this before but there was actually a second abuser uh, and that's the memories of the first memories that came back I don't really I've never really dealt with this because it isn't traumatic to me in the same way nearly as much as with my neighbor but we had a family that came to us for Pesach Seder also when I was five and during the meal like they had like a 12 or 13 year old boy and everyone was playing in the back and he um, molested me then. And those are the first memories that came back. I don't know if that's before the main abuse happened or not. And I, I dealt with that in therapy for a while first before, but there's still felt like a missing piece until the main memories came back. My life wasn't necessarily completely safer then. My house was still pretty chaotic. The difference was I was getting older. I had good friends. I had stable families that I was friends with. And I connected with some teachers in high school. So I was feeling more in tune with myself and in a healthier place and kind of more in control than just being a victim at home. Like I felt more in control of what was happening. I could get out of the house more. So I ended up confiding in my principal that something happened since they were a very trustworthy person and they sent me to therapy. Looking back, the therapist wasn't a great choice. They said they were trauma therapists. I don't really think they were now after I've been in trauma therapy. So I think it was helpful to an extent, but also re-traumatized me in many ways because all they, all this therapist did was really just talk about my story. So it, it answered a lot of questions for me, but just talking about my story is very traumatic. And so that was very difficult. Once I was older, really out of high school, I switched therapists to someone who specialized in trauma and used a lot of expressive stuff. And I was with her until she retired. And now I have a new therapist and I could see the difference. Like the work I've done with them in a few years is like astounding because I don't have to keep talking about my story. We do stuff that changes my experience. At that point, the only person I told was my best friend. I had the same best friend since kindergarten. Our families are very close also. And I think that's a big part of how I ended up being okay at the end of this because there was always that one person in that one family in my life that was safe and did like me. Um, now, I do feel a little bad for her putting that all on her. As a kid, I didn't realize what I was putting on her. I had no idea my life was so abnormal, but I would talk to her about my parents and how things were at home and things are pretty chaotic and dysfunctional. So I told her that I was abused. And at that point, I didn't tell anybody else. I was in therapy for about a year. At some point, my family invited my neighbor for a Shabbos meal. We haven't had him in a while. And my father had gotten diagnosed with cancer the past couple of months. So like we hadn't really been having guests since he was um, pretty sick. 
they invited him over. And I remember not knowing why I was doing this, but I got this panic inside of me. And I said, I'm not staying here, even though my family wanted everyone to be there. And I said, I'm going to my friend. So I ran away to my best friend's house and I refused to come home. And I didn't understand why. And that whole Shabbos, I was like, this kept sitting on my head of like something I was blocking. And my mother actually came the next morning and she was like crying hysterically. She said, I had a dream that you left because this person abused you. And that kind of clicked all the pieces together for me. I didn't tell her still at that point. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is crazy. I ended up working through it in therapy for a long time and memories slowly came back to me. And I only told her later just a bare minimum just to be able to make a report since I was still a minor. And I regret telling her. I wish I didn't. At that point, she was supportive, but only in her own defense. She was like furious, like, how could someone do this to my daughter? But not, oh my gosh, are you okay? There was always, it's hard for me to describe my mother, but she seems to be in her own reality of what life is and what the reality of things are. So most mothers would look at the situation and realize that all those times that I was falling apart or being a difficult child, like it wasn't that I was a bad person and as I was in her mind, something serious was going on. And even as a teenager, when I was I went to my little rebellious stage and stuff, because I was just so angry and trapped and scared. And it was never like looking on what's wrong. What And once she even knew what happened to me, that was never part of the picture. So I regretted telling her after that when I realized how limited her support was. And even as I got older, like my father never mentioned anything about it to me. I think behind the scenes, he tried to do some stuff, um, but he never acknowledged that did that this happened and my parents never apologized for the fact that they let him in the house it was like we asked the rabbi and he said that it's safe too so i called that rabbi up because i trusted this rabbi and i said i'm very upset about this can you explain to me what really happened so we sat down for him and talked about it he said when i described what he was doing in front of my parents he said i would have never told him that it was okay for him to stay Whatever version they told me was very different than that. I can't imagine any way that I would have said that they should stay. So I was like, that made sense to me that my parents' reality of it was very warped and they couldn't take responsibility for the fact that this man shouldn't have been in our house or, and definitely not alone. Even without awareness, it, it was pretty big red flags. Like kids should not be sitting on a middle-aged man's lap. Or we also would tell my parents, we didn't like that he did this. We touched us this way. Like little things that could be just someone was a little socially off, but this was a grown man, like he should know better. So even now, one time I knew I was making a mistake, but I did it anyway. I was craving that mother to just be there for me. So I told my mother a snippet of the story and she kept going, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't happen. I was like, you listen to parenting tapes all the time. Don't you know that you're supposed to believe me? Yeah, but still this does, this is a different category because she thinks she's very self-aware and growing, but like she's in her own world. Like she's missing the part that like, like of how to be a good parent and that this happened to me and that I'm in pain. And even let's say theoretically I was making it up, then clearly that's a cry for help too. And most kids are not making it up. So that was just like, it was very upsetting. So I really haven't involved her in it since. Like there's still part of me that's tempted because I want that mother to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be there for you. And I've been really having to learn that like, I'm never getting that mother. And I need a, I need to do... I need to reach out to other motherly figures and people in my life, but I'm not going to have her in that way. She's good with practical help. So I'll still take that, but that's about it.
she's making me feel like I'm a terrible person. Like growing up, I was told all the time that I was an abusive child. So like I was at fault. I was like, that's not, there's no, that's not a thing. You can't be an abusive child. Even if I was the most difficult child ever, as a parent, you're still responsible to be a good parent. And I always felt like I was this horrible person when now looking back, I realized I was just in a lot of pain and all these horrific things were happening to me and I had no one to tell. So of course I was acting out and had so much emotion. I didn't know what to do with them. And if someone just reached out to me and realized something was wrong, my whole life would have been different. But I still, that's when I said some of the things are still going on. That's still the attitude I get. Like every time I complain about something, it's, you're so ungrateful and you're so not positive and you ruin everything. And as opposed to like, I'm a human with human emotion, especially some of the things I'm grappling with are really big. Um, so I've had to learn to not have any real conversations um, with her because it just makes me feel like I'm this bad person or I have this horrible personality or something, which isn't true. Let's talk about the abuser. Did this happen to anyone else in the community? Did anything happen to him? Did you think about pressing charges? Did he go to jail? Is anything like this part of the story? So that's the part of the story I'm still in the middle of. It's hard for me to believe that it didn't happen to anyone else. But when I made the original report, no one else came forward. They called a lot of families, like the other families in the neighborhood that were concerned about him or the rabbi knew what families had called and said, like, they saw, like, inappropriate behavior. So... At that point, no one came forward, so they left the case open, though, in case something else happened, because this type of guy seemed like he was a serial pedophile. Like, I, it's hard to believe that no one else had this happen. Then he moved to another state a few years later, so I haven't seen him since then. It's been about five or six years, and the rabbis in our community had already warned everyone. The police couldn't do anything. They did believe me, but there's nothing they could do. I still had to do a whole exam and everything, which was torture, even though they weren't able to find anything after so many years. So the rabbis of the community banned him from every show and store and family. So they took care of that. And then they called the new community and told them about him so that they were warned also. For a while, I left it, but it always really angered me that he just living his life in some state. Apparently he got remarried. He had gotten divorced right before he started abusing me. Like very abruptly and out of the blue. And the people involved couldn't understand like what happened until I finally came forward with my story that this was like the exact same time. But he had gotten remarried. He's working. He has a family. And it's so infuriating to me. And also I'm pretty sure he's still doing things. So I reached back out to the original detective and a bunch of people i've been going in circles for the past year and um, i finally got through to a lawyer who's um involved with an organization locally that works with these type of things and they're trying to get the police to reinvestigate the case but it's hard to get them to do that because there's nothing in my medical files i don't have evidence technically so they've been working on that because they want to try to get him in jail or they're trying to convince the police to maybe give him a call and have someone pretend to be me and see if he'll admit anything and record it. So they're working on different angles of that now. And on a side note, my dream is to sue him for everything he has because I feel like he shouldn't have anything right now. And if I'm going to have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in therapy and help, then he should be paying for it. Like It's very infuriating that someone else could mess me up and ruin my entire life. And then I'm the one paying for it and working so hard 
for all my therapy, which I probably have to always be on. And it caused a lot of all the stress that I went through, put me into this PTSD state. So I've been chronically sick the past year, but really my whole life, it just exploded this past year, how it's affected me in physical ways until I think I heal more emotionally. So it's affected a lot in my life. Since ninth grade, you've come a long way and you seem to be married now. Yeah. And I'm curious to know what the dating process was like and perhaps getting married and having to deal with intimacy. Could you talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Yeah. So dating over probably about like five or six years, I was feeling in a much better place. When I went to seminary for a year, that made a world of difference for me. I was a completely different person. A lot of my health issues went away, just not living at home. Suddenly, I was a happier person. I, was, I had a whole different personality. Um, so when I got back, I really didn't want to go back home, but I didn't really have a choice. Like I didn't really have anywhere else to go. And I was in, I was older. I was more independent. So I felt like it would be a little bit easier than when I was younger living there. So I started dating around then. I felt pretty okay with that. But different times, I took a break to stop and work through more things in therapy as you know, more fears came up or went through different kind of down periods i met my husband actually just like about five months after my father died last year after a terminal cancer for 10 years um, which is a whole nother piece of trauma in my life so i met my husband and somehow i just knew i could trust him i think it was like all the work i've done in my life came together at that point and i always thought i need to date for a long time to feel safe and we dated for like the typical month and a half two months or whatever and i was so surprised but i just knew i could trust him and he was this really good stable person i didn't know people like that existed i kept like waiting for something to happen and then it never did so eventually okay i guess we could get engaged it was a very it was a very interesting process for me i was in therapy then still so i was able to work through the different fears and my husband was someone i could talk to about things too so that helped me a lot in our whole engagement. We were very open about things and my fears or worries and reassurances. And, and I talked to the therapist again a lot and we met with people together. So that was a very helpful, that was a very helpful experience being open. And we had an interesting wedding situation. We had to move up our wedding a couple of weeks because of Corona and we got married last year. So I didn't have that week before to worry because I only knew the day before I was getting married. I, I always wonder like there's, there's a lot of hard parts about having a backyard wedding and moving it up so fast, but I do always feel like if I had that week, I don't know what my mind would have done. Like I was doing okay until I didn't have time to sit there and think about it. So I kind of just suddenly got married. Like, and like, Oh my gosh, like it, it just happened so fast. Like a whirlwind. And I worked with a college teacher, I had a lot of experience, not necessarily with abuse, but she's worked with so many people over 20 years and she was very sensitive. So she, I think has a huge part of the fact that I was able to get married. She like what she taught me was what she teaches every college, which is what everyone should learn. And it which was is so what? For, so just like normal things that I feel like every college teacher should teach us how to feel safe and comfortable and how to have a healthy relationship and all these things that like I knew, but then to hear with my specific situation were really helpful. And she spoke with my husband's class and teacher and she talked, she was like very practical, even like, here's some ideas of what you could buy. So you feel comfortable or games or just like different things that like that 
prevent people from feeling like this is too much too fast and she had just such a healthy attitude about marriage and intimacy and everything and was just like so open and comfortable so that helped me a lot and I was able to work through with her a lot of my practical concerns related to what I went through and we were able to make plans and she spoke with my therapist and I worked with my therapist on it and then I spoke to my husband so it, it really helped a lot I felt like I went in with a lot of plans like I had the biggest suitcase ever because I packed everything I could think of that might make me feel better like just everything like I could imagine so prepared for any situation I think that came up which I didn't end up really having to deal with like I was surprisingly feeling safe like I like the idea of even moving in with my husband freaked me out I was like I can't just live with this guy and even that made me feel like very nervous and I just felt I guess because we talked so much and I felt so comfortable with him, by the time I got married, I just felt normal that he was in my apartment with me. And I felt safe having this guy in my life being the one that knows me the most and really being able to share my life with him. So that, a lot of credit goes to him, but also he's a very patient, good guy. So like he's been, especially this past year when I started, I think really because I felt so safe for the first time in my life, like suddenly everything really hit me in a way it hadn't before. And I just, started getting physically sick all the time and no one could figure out what was going on until some people finally realized like that my body's just going through a trauma response but delayed what you said the second abuse I couldn't feel these things then so suddenly every feeling I should have had when I was abused came up in my marriage and I knew I trusted my husband and everything but I was still having these flashbacks and panic and being terrified and just feeling like I need to run away and it was like this trauma response that suddenly caught up to me. And so between that and the pandemic and newly married, there's a lot in this past year. And the fact that like he still stuck around and was patient and I kept waiting for him to be like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. He always told me like, if I would have left, I would have left a long time ago. Like we're in it together. And it was, it was really unreal to me that even in my hardest moments and darkest times that somebody still liked me and wanted to spend time with me and believe that I'd be okay and not just that I was this bad person or causing this to happen. So I'm still like in shock. I, I never, I knew this existed, but I never had it happen to me. So that has allowed me to start really working on things even deeper and trying to get better. I attended a trauma program a couple months ago. It's the only one I think in America that's for from people. So that was really helpful because I was able to talk about the spiritual aspects of the abuse, how it affected my spirituality. Can you talk about um, that a little bit? Yeah. So it's an incredible program. It's called Fresh Start, and they're relatively new. I think they started middle of last year. So they have all male or all female weeks. So I went with four other women and we had one therapist and we just did therapy all day. And you were also like living on a lake and it's like this beautiful house and they cooked everything for you. So it was like very relaxing at the same time and pampering, but it was very intensive therapy to try to figure out like, why are you still suffering now? Because I've been in therapy for over a decade and I'm still suffering so much all the time and the abuses and every single aspect of my life. So I got a lot of insight from that. Like the therapist kind of broke down to the core issues that were going on and since he was there for a full week he was able to see a lot about our, our interaction and different things that kind of gave him clues into what was going on in a way that like my individual once a week therapy couldn't 
he actually shared everything with my husband and therapist after so like they could know what happened and we could continue the work here. But one of the big things that he broke down for me was that I don't really believe I was abused or I struggle with the fact that my parents are really abusers. So I still hope that they are normal parents and maybe they just tried their best. And like, he was trying to really drill into my head, like they, like what they did was abusive and that I could believe my memories with my neighbor. And that is a really painful thing to grapple with because then you have to accept how terrible your life was. But at the same time, until I had that, I was putting all the blame on myself that like I was, I just had all these like bad feelings about who I was as a child. Like I didn't even like myself as a child. And I always considered myself having pretty good self-esteem, but like that, whenever I, I couldn't even look at pictures when I was a kid, because it just, I internalized all those f- bad feelings of, of how others viewed me and what was happening to me into myself. And I've learned that children do that because they have to be safe. So you have to trust your parents. So you just blame yourself. But when you're older, at some point you realize like your parents weren't trustworthy. Like I needed to be on my mother's good side so I could survive. Like she was someone who could, like flip a switch type of personality change into this evil monster that could really hurt me without intending to, but she could because she wasn't in control. And so I had to switch up to, oh, I'm not this bad person. They are. And I still want my mother in my life a little bit. As I said, my father died already, but like right now I'm actually expecting and I haven't been feeling so great in the first trimester. So there's certain things that only a mother does. Like sometimes I just want to go there for shabbos. I worked with my therapist on figuring out a plan and just decided I'm going to take the things that she gives that don't make me feel bad because I still need them. And she's the only mother I have. And then the rest, I'm going to just learn to to not go to her for. So I have turned to her for these things. My father's a little more complicated to figure out the relationship now, but I've been also trying to grapple with that, of like how I view him or I had a boy, what I named after him and he was a a very dysfunctional person like very volatile and either shut down for days or be explosive but also my parents are confusing because they also had good qualities and those are what the community saw and always say are so amazing especially when someone dies you hear about how perfect they were but I, I did make peace with him in some sense inside myself before he died but I knew at the time I'm gonna have to deal with it later that's what I'm dealing with now is that is his aspect in the suffering and the abuse and even with my neighbor, his role in that. It doesn't he couldn't have done that without people enabling him. Yeah. There is so much here. I am so excited for you and your new baby, Vishatova. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I, well, let uh, me hold on before you think about it. I just want to say that you seem like such an incredible person because so often this the easiest way, you know, sometimes, which isn't necessarily the best way, but sometimes the only way is to shut your mother out because why deal with it? And you're finding a way to take what she can offer and you still see a side of her that she can be of service or to of love to you and that's a beautiful thing especially as you you are becoming a mother yourself and 
I just want to acknowledge all the work you have done and all the therapy you have done and all the struggling that you had to do that most people don't have to do so much, so hard for so long. And it's very impressive also that you were able to receive the love when you met your husband and to accept it and to go with it. <laughs> I see the blessing in disguise with COVID just making you walk down that aisle before it could hit you. Yeah. And it's big to be able to understand that now you're in a good place and you're able to receive and nothing else has to happen. And the the cycle doesn't have to continue and there are ways you can protect your future family from the abuse that you had to endure. Yeah, the idea of raising a family has always been like my biggest fear, but also what I think is going to heal me the most. Because I feel like in a way you get to relive your childhood through your child's eyes. Like that innocent childhood, I like to be able to experience that with my own child. Like I'm excited about that because I miss that part of my life that just having fun and being innocent and being happy so as much like you said like some closing words I wanted to share a little bit about why I guess I spoke I chose to speak today which is similar to what you were just saying is that the story has become something that I'm alone in because it's for various reasons I can't speak publicly about it. And I was always so jealous of those people who could and just share their story. And there's a lot of different people's privacy that I have to protect as well as my own. It feels like a very personal story that I don't want strangers to know about. It's very private to me. And it's like with my father died, I was able to talk to everyone about it. And even now I can, but with this, there was no one really to share with. And there's only so much I want to put on my husband or my best friend or, you know, it's a lot to hear and it's hard to be the one with the most triggering story of your circle of people because even the care, most caring people, it's, it's a lot to deal with. And I was just, I got so fed up one day just being alone with this and realizing my neighbor's just living his life and I have to have these huge secrets inside of me. And even if this is anonymous, I still wanted to be able to share my story um, because I know as a person who has listened to these podcasts that you're connecting with other people and helping other people heal and they get to understand other aspects of their own story through hearing other people's. So I wanted to finally just be able to speak and not have this as a shameful thing hiding inside of me and be like, this is a part of my life. And, and I'm not like just the victim here, but I worked really hard being okay. And I think, even the people that know what I went through, like they see certain aspects of me and obviously just like the human aspects. And sometimes I feel like, I'm like, I just want a medal. Like the fact that I'm alive, like that's good enough. Everything else is extra. And I just feel like explaining trauma to people who don't understand is like trying to explain color to a blind person. It's a whole nother way of looking at the world. Because when I was in my formative years, my brain developed all its coping mechanisms and way of doing the world through trauma. So that's how it still is now. And I'm working to change it, but there's still some parts that are, that that's how it, it was formed to survive horrific things. So I feel like I grew up in a war zone and I'm constantly trying to learn that the war is over. So it's hard for other people to understand that. And there's this part of me that's always self, self-conscious because I didn't grow up with healthy relationships or models. So it's hard for me to always know exactly what friendships do or what role do friends play as opposed to parents? Because I'm sure when I was younger that in my mind, 
my friend wasn't really being there for me. And now I'm looking back at it. I realize that's what my parents should have done. And there's this big hole inside of me that she couldn't fill. So she was doing as much as a friend does, even though I was getting hurt. So there's a lot of instances like that where I just didn't know the same things that everyone else did about relationships. And even now it's like, even being married, I never had a model for that. So it's a whole new way of learning how to be a healthy person and interact with people and to not be living with trauma. And even the people that know I went through trauma, if they didn't go through it themselves, it's hard to really understand it. And I hope people know that I'm trying my best. And I think relatively I'm healthy at this point, but there are a lot of things I feel like I have a big handicap with that my brain just works differently. And I have to work to compensate for it all the time or learn through watching people. But it's a whole relearning process on, on how to be a healthy person that most people just naturally get. And I've learned a lot as I got older of what I could expect from each person. And the most healing thing ever was getting married because I done a lot of the work myself already. So I wasn't going in trying to have him fix everything in me, but there's a certain level of care that I never got in my life and that no friend could give you. They're not living with you and that's not their role. So there's always this part of me that was in pain because there's this emptiness or loneliness in my life that, and it wasn't because of anyone's fault. They were doing everything that they were supposed to do. But when I got engaged, I remember feeling like I was high. And I asked a friend, I'm like, what is this? And she goes, that's happiness. And I don't think I ever felt that before. I never had just happiness without and pain and something bad and looking deeply for the good. It was just this feeling of someone just likes me and I like them and I feel safe and things are good. And I think that was a big part of why I wasn't nervous getting married. And that to me has been the most healing thing because I realized now since I got married, I haven't had that lonely feeling nearly the same amount because there's this feeling of me that, that is always understood and that there's like safety every single day, which is not something I take for granted that it's not going to ever stop. And my in-laws are also incredible. So that's been a big learning experience to see, to learn what my parents did was not normal because certain things I just excuse, okay, everyone does that when they're having a bad day. And my husband keeps telling me my parents never did that. None of my friends' parents did that. So I've been learning, trying to learn a lot from them also. And are your in-laws in the loop of your story or is it something between you your husband and your best friend so they are a little bit now they weren't that they could tell something was going on especially because i was physically sick this past year so they could see something was going on and they were concerned but then when i went away for a week and my husband ended up going to them for shabbos so he they realized like something off so it ended up just sharing that i went through a difficult childhood and i was getting help but they were just very supportive. And my mother-in-law just like reached out, like, I want to be like a mother to you or whatever. It was very sweet. And like, I knew I could have reached out to su support earlier, but it takes me time to trust people and to adjust. But there are more people now that know about it. Like I had a few mentors or friends that I've met that I was able to share parts of my story with. But it's hard for me to really feel like I'm in a friendship with someone if they don't know this part of me because then there's a huge part of my life I'm hiding so I don't really need to talk about it that often just like that they know that this is an aspect of my life so I have had more people and I think that takes that helps me not feel like a burden because that always is a big fear of like I'm too much and my story is too much and that's definitely how my family made me feel but I'm learning how to find the balance of what what I can get from each person and 
what therapy is for and what I give myself. And my next step really, and it's probably not a time to talk about this, but it's the whole relationship part with Hashem. Like that's the big piece of working through that and what I get from that and how to work through the anger part first to get there. Meir, I know there was one other thing you wanted to share and you weren't sure if other people would be up for it. Yeah, so when I was in eighth grade and maybe also the beginning of ninth grade, I had two very early miscarriages or possibly abortion. I don't know really which it was. That's something that was the first memory that came back with such a clarity that I couldn't doubt that it happened. I completely just lost it and couldn't stop crying. And for even though it was the most almost unbelievable part of my story, and that was actually the piece that my mother didn't believe. But to me, I knew 100% that happened. And at the time, as I said, I forgot the next day. But I look back at my picture even from those, that year, and I could see that, like, I changed weight more drastically. I remember at the time asking my mother, can you get pregnant if you're not married? I was a very naive child. Surprisingly, even with what I was going through, I was so disconnected from it. And I remember like being concerned. What if that could just happen to someone? Then what do you do? And that was basically the same time that this happened. It's one of the parts that for a long time I was ashamed to say, because when I brought it up to that original therapist, I don't know that they intended it this way, but the way they responded really made me feel like, okay, I must have been making it up. Like, there's something about, oh, it's not really a baby or I don't, something along those lines. And I felt so ashamed because I was already doubting maybe everything that happened isn't true. So it took me years to bring it up to another therapist and a lot of back and forth until I was finally able to share that. Of course, like, that's painful. And I think the other therapist said something like, it's better this than having a child, obviously, in eighth grade, which is true. but if a miscarriage is a better option, then that's a pretty sad story when that's the blessing. And I remember one of the reasons it's so significant to me, besides for the trauma of going through that, is that it turned on this mothering feeling inside of me. And I think that was when I really learned to be there for myself and done a lot of work with the inner child and helping her heal because of that stunted and pain part of me. And that turned on that feeling of, this is greater and bigger than me. And it was something I mourned, even though, even though I knew it was better than other things, it was still an incredibly painful experience. And it's something that I feel very connected to because it's just my pain. It's not his pain. It's not connected to anybody else. And obviously getting pregnant brought up some of those triggers. I, I write a lot of poetry and dramatic kind of letters. So I wrote a lot about I have a lot of this written from the perspective of when I was abused also. And it's also been a very healing experience to feel like I've come full circle that I'm married and I'm having a child and it makes the idea of an inner child even more real because it's literally an inner child and feeling like nurturing an actual child and nurturing that little one inside of me that never got to be a child. But that also I think is what ended the abuse because I think that scared him. I, I had no one else to tell again, so I told he was the only one that knew. And I don't know exactly how I knew that what was happening to me was a miscarriage, but somehow I guess I figured that out. It was pretty obvious, but I was very young and naive. And that's when it stopped because I remember he freaked out about this. So I also feel like it saved me. 
Yeah. I've so far never met another from survivor who had that part of their story. So I sometimes hesitate to share it because sometimes I've had people respond that, oh, I guess my story is not so bad then. But I, I tend to do the same thing as we were saying that we get used to our stories and we've worked on them for so long. I always wonder, especially with this, a lot of people listening, maybe someone had a similar experience. And I find whenever I have a part of my story that feels so unbelievable, but then someone else shares that that happened to them, it's very validating to know this is something that happened. I could believe my memories and the effects that it's had on me. Yeah. Wow. You are so incredible and inspirational. I want to tell you that I've heard this line very much of it. You don't know this part of me. You don't know me fully. But there comes a time when it's so, when you talk about it, it doesn't become emotional anymore and you're able to talk about it like it's somebody else's story. You almost are able to appreciate the person you've become because of that, which is why you don't reject that part. And some of the guests on this episode have been so much down the road that it's not even emotional for them to talk about the details. And then you can form new relationships without them having to know because it's such an insignificant. As you go down your healthy journey, that becomes just such a small part of your life compared to all the other incredible, big, happy things, hopefully, that are in your life. And you won't have a need to share that unless you want to and unless it comes up in conversation and and that's beautiful i've seen it happen all around me so i hope that for you and thank you so much for sharing your story with us thank you for this platform for bringing awareness and healing and i want to mention here that we have an episode on what i wish my kala taught me a panel what that we're working on we're doing a how i feel about hair covering episode we have a Shadokham episode. We have a Me Too episode. There were some other things you mentioned that reminded me that I wanted to just add into here. Oh, and we have a trauma specialist coming on also to talk about trauma therapy and how that works. So I'm really excited for all this content to come out because it's so important to bring awareness, educate, and inform of what's around the people around us they may be caring a lot and maybe we can just be a little bit more aware and more helpful and more loving and understanding and less judgmental thank you so much for listening until the end i will be covering the aftermath of unorthodox on netflix the new series that came out so stay tuned for that and make sure to check out the other episodes we've been talking about See you next time.